Everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. So excited for today because we have a returning fan favorite. Dory, I think you might be the first guest who's back on here for the third time. Oh so my Dory, goodness, I am honored. Welcome back to Eternal Leadership. Thank you, John. So good to be here with you. Oh, so awesome. So folks, if you want to go back and just hear more of the awesomeness of Dory Clark, if you haven't listened to her in the past, the first time you were on was in July of 2015. And we had a conversation about how do you develop a breakout idea? And then how do you take that idea and just stand out and live a full life? It was just this beautiful conversation. And then um, we had another conversation just a, a couple of years ago, really about what is the best gift you can give not only to yourself and to the world. And that was just a great conversation about how do you really not only uh, kind of building an idea of what is that big idea, but then how do you get paid what you're worth? How do you really show up and fully express your unique value in the world? My goodness, do we need more of that, don't we, Dory? We certainly do. And props to you, incidentally, John. I mean, just the fact that one of the points that I make in the long game is just the importance of small acts undertaken every day and resilience and perseverance. And the fact that you've been doing this show for, uh, you know, for, for at least the six years that, uh, that I've been talking to you, but even longer than that is really impressive in a world where so many people try something and then give up. So that's really pretty cool. Well, thank you. Well, you teach at Harvard. I actually teach no, at Duke, but my publisher Duke, is Harvard right. Business Review. Published by Harvard Business Review and Forbes and Entrepreneur. But you know why I keep doing this? I'm a lifelong learner and the conversations with people like you, I feel like over the last six years, I've gotten multiple like MBAs in life, having such incredible conversations. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, I saw when you launched on LinkedIn, your course on strategic thinking, right? And a lot of people hear the word, we talk, we think about it. And it was interesting because, you know, you shared this with me that, you know, you had a million people sign up for this and you realize, whoa, you didn't realize there was such a, like a hunger around this topic of strategic thinking. And we're here today because Dory has a book coming out that's going to be phenomenal because I, I think now more than ever, this is so important. And the book is called The Long Game. And how do you be a long-term thinker in a short-term world? And we were just talking before we even hit record that like COVID, our environment, geopolitically, just everything has felt like it's just compressed everything down to the present and connecting this to, it's almost like everything else is like, well, yeah, one of these days, right? And a lot of us are kind of in like just existence mode. But, you know, with that, I, I would, first of all, when you think about strategic thinking, what does strategic thinking mean to you, Dory? My quick back of the envelope the definition that I use for strategic thinking is understanding what it is that you can do today that will make tomorrow easier or better. Mm. Okay. What we can do today that would make tomorrow better or to be more technical to make tomorrow gooder. I just want you to say like, we want to get a little bit yeah. gooder every day. That's, you know, my MBA and all these podcasts, that's how it's equipped me is my language. So you got it, my man. <laughs> Okay, now think about this. So tomorrow better, but we might make tomorrow better short term. Now, here's a real question is what when you saw this many people kind of flood in 
to this course, what do you think the reason was that drew so many people into want to understand from you this whole idea of even thinking strategically? I think there's probably a couple of factors at play. One is most people who are driven enough and have enough uh, personal ambition that they are willing to, you know, as grownups who are not forced to do it, to take their time doing a personal development course, they want to advance. They want to go somewhere in their lives and uh, and hopefully move up in the ranks of leadership. And just about everyone, you know, according to studies, there was a, a study by the Management Research Group of ninety-seven, uh, or sorry, of uh, ten thousand leaders, and ninety-seven percent said that strategic thinking was actually the most important element of leadership. And so, I think there's near universal recognition that if you want to be a leader, strategic thinking is something you need to learn, you need to get better at. But unfortunately. It's one of those things that that rarely does get taught. You know, it's not like you're taking a college course in strategic thinking. You're not even taking an MBA class usually in strategic thinking. You might take one in corporate strategy, but that's a little bit different. And so I think a lot of people recognize this is a thing I need to learn. This is a thing I need to get good at. And there's not that many places other than trial and error that they can do it. So there's a lot of interest in strategic thinking for that reason. And just to add one more into the filter, I think there is a fairly widespread recognition that there has been a lot more of a push in recent years towards short-term thinking. We see it in the corporate world with people, you know, the, the Volkswagens and Wells Fargo's of the world cutting corners in order to get those short-term results. Yeah, and we oops. see it. Yeah, oops, exactly. And we see it in our personal lives sometimes with just people feeling so much com- pressure of comparison with social media and things like that. And most people recognize that's not who I want to be. That's not where I want to be. How can I break out of that? And strategic thinking is really the answer. Yeah, no. So here's something interesting because I just surveyed about 50 CEOs that are clients of mine. And I asked them this question, like right now in your role, leading your organization, what is your biggest challenge? It'll be no surprise to you. The number one answer was this, making effective strategy decisions. And I reached out to people and said, okay, what do you mean by that? Okay, that's kind of a big term. But here's some of the other ones, though. So I'll just share some of the results. I haven't even published it out to the people that responded. The second one is time management. Just because I am so busy in the present with the pace of work, trying to hire good people, trying to retain people, trying to um, uh, uh, train them. And then the next one is um, then developing my people into a leadership role. And so here's a comment from a, a CEO I know. He's got about a 500 person organization. But he says, hey, listen, uh, things are rapidly changing. We have to put people in positions that in the past they would have probably needed a couple more years in their role. Getting ready is a challenge. How do we take risks? Customers want things that are new. And he, he, what he basically says is, I am so heads down just trying to manage the present, doing some of those things to make tomorrow better, like you mentioned, for this person is one of the most difficult things that they have to do. And I think this applies whether we're leading an organization or the member of a company or we're just part of a family. I think this is you, you just pretty ubiquitous today because I think so here, here's right what I take out of even just looking at my group, right? People are rushed, overwhelmed, 
were constantly feeling uh, behind, like I didn't get enough done. So, and, I, and what I, I love is how your brain works and how you think on this. So what are some things we can do, or is it even possible to break that cycle? Yeah, you're pointing to some really important areas in this, John. I mean, I think for many of us, and this is a problem that only gets worse, the higher up in an organization you are, the more demands on your time and people seeking you out, we really feel like there is an infinite, literally an infinite number of things that we need to do. And the to-do list, it's like cutting off the head of a hydra. It's just going to grow a new head. (laughs) And it can begin to feel really demoralizing because so many of us get trapped in the thinking of, oh, but you know, just if I had another day to catch up, you know, oh, really, I'm just like four or five hours behind if I just had that. And it's an illusion. You know, we're, we're grasping at it and it's, uh, it never really comes. And so I think there's a few things. In fact, the first section, the whole first section of my book, The Long Game, is about reclaiming white space. Because one of the points that I make is that it's not that it takes a huge amount of time to do strategic thinking. It doesn't. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we say, oh, well, you know, really what we need is a sabbatical. Really, you need to take a year off to do strategic thinking. I mean, that's not true and it's not right. Realistic. Or at a minimum, like a two or three day offsite with my team. Exactly. In my experience, right, very few people know how to link that strategic exercise to the day-to-day problems that are causing the overwhelm in busyness. So then guess what it is? It's an exercise that doesn't go anywhere. So then we're always not even motivated to like, do we really want to do that? Totally, totally. It, it really can become demoralizing after a while. And so I think we need to recognize like a lot of things, it's not black or white. It's not that you need the year off or the three day offsite, but it also is that you can't, it's true that you can't do strategic thinking if you have literally no time. Many leaders are scheduled to 110%. There is no slack. There is no margin. If one thing goes wrong in their day, then everything is out of whack. And so I think one of the key points that we have to recognize is, you know, again, this is something that is never made explicit, but we really have to focus in on it and understand it. Every single year as we advance, we need to keep tightening the criteria about what is worth spending our time on. We, if we are still managing our calendars the way we did, you know, when we were 22 at 32, or the way that we managed them when we were 32, now that we're 42, or however further we get up the line, we are going to be making a massive mistake because as you grow in seniority and as more and more people want to reach out to you, it becomes untenable because your entire schedule becomes reactive rather than proactive. And what you're measured on in the end, what gets you results that you're proud of and that will get you rewarded, frankly, is doing proactive agenda items, not just taking meetings or answering emails. So where do you start? You know, to reclaim the white space, I think a lot of people feel like, you know, I, I am maxed out. Like, okay, how do I find, even if you said, okay, get up 15 minutes earlier to just think which actually is not enough time for me because then, you know, one little distraction, the 15 minutes is gone. True. Right. So is the first priority taking small steps to look at what we're doing and how we're doing it so we can build some of that bandwidth out or like, where do we start here? Yeah. If I was literally giving someone a prescription, what I would say is there's a few things. Number one, 
I am a huge fan of time tracking, which I am going to freely admit is literally one of the most boring things on earth. And there's a reason people don't do it. It's incredibly boring, but powerfully insightful in terms of what we're doing, because, you know, we all know this intuitively, right? We vote with our feet. Whatever we say is important to us. I mean, fantastic. But what really is important to you is what you are spending your time on and actually seeing in black and white where you're allocating it is powerful. So I've done this twice in February of 2018 and December of 2020. I did a repeat where for a month I tracked my time in 15 minute intervals. Now it doesn't have, you don't have to do it with that much granularity. It could be a half an hour if you want, but actually seeing what you're doing, who you're spending it with. Is it work? Is it family? Is it health? You know, and within work, is it mostly meetings and email, or are you actually taking the time to focus on strategic agenda items? These are interesting questions. So I think having some data in front of you, even doing it for two weeks can be very, very informative. But also another thing that I think is quite useful is just really being mindful of the requests that you have. And again, if we want to get technical, I did this experiment where I, again, for a month, I tracked every single incoming email that I got to see, you know, to categorize what is it. And I realized something incredible, John, I was getting 10 requests per day in a given week. I, I, I did it for like, you know, two weeks in one week, I got 73 requests. And so for your time a for a meeting to catch up, to get your advice, to talk yes. about being a, a client. I mean, the whole gamut, right. To yeah, ab- you absolutely. On a podcast. That's exactly right. I mean, for someone who is interested in hiring me, I would, I mark that somewhere different. You know, I, I don't consider that like uh, a sort of favor per se, but, but yeah, you know, oh, would you, you know, would you, you do know this? What, no, you, I, you know, just, can I give, can I speak into that? Please. You should see it as a favor. Anybody who gets to work <laughs> with you, Dory, oh. like blessed, you know what I'm saying? Hashtag boom. Thank you. Thank you, my man. But, you know, ultimately, that is a very sobering realization. Now, a lot of these people I would want to say yes to, but it might not necessarily be in that form. There's some interesting, I think, small tweaks that we can make that are quite powerful. In our culture, there are defaults for how people are trained to ask for things. Oh, hey, gosh, I have a question. I don't know anything about it. I haven't really taken time to formulate it, but John knows something about it. Hey, John, can I buy you lunch? And when you say yes in that form, you know, part of the struggle is really understanding what is the total cost involved? Say, okay, well, the lunch is an hour. Great. But it's going to take me 40 minutes to get there with traffic, probably another, you know, 30, 40 to get back. We've now spent practically half a day having this lunch meeting. And that's a huge commitment. Do we really want to allocate three hours nearly to this person? And so just even sort of finding a way to downscale, you may or may not say yes, but if you do want to say yes, just saying, okay, John, I'd love to help you. I'd love to hang out. My schedule slammed. I can't do lunch, but how about we set up a phone call for later this week? You have now turned a two and a half hour commitment into a 30 minute commitment. You have quote unquote, saved yourself two hours. If you can do that systematically, or if there's someone that you don't know very well, you don't, you don't necessarily even want to go live with them, but you can say, oh, you know, I'm too slammed for a phone call, but I'd love to help. Could you email me your top questions and I'll get back to you again. You've turned a 30 minute request into maybe a five to 10 minute request. Those times add up and they can be reallocated to your priorities, not other people's. No, I love that. Um, 
I was doing your assessment on uh, strategic thinking, self-assessment. What's the link for that again? It's doryclark.com forward slash the long game, correct? You got it. Yeah, thank you. So folks, phenomenal assessment. But you, but your first question here is go back and look at your calendar for two weeks. Because I thought I was pretty you know, good at this because our business has grown. We have 15 people now. You know, Seven years ago, it was me trying to figure out life after my accident. Yes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, look at this stuff in my calendar that has nothing to do with me moving toward my most important priorities around my family, about business growth, and about truly having a meaningful impact on leaders that I want to be working with. And there's all this stuff on the periphery. And I'm like, oh my, okay. So I had to, one of the things I talk to people about is really connecting to and working in that area of your core values, not the ones you think you should have, not the ones you, you know, that your organization expects of you or your culture or your family, but what are the ones that are true to you? Because what I've also found is, and you're saying it loud and clear here, when I do say yes to something like that lunch, I am saying no to something else. And when I'm not being, I guess, uh, decisive about it, that's not the right word. But when I'm not making a choice that moves me toward what's important to me, then you know what, instead of me making progress, I'm actually helping somebody else make progress. I don't want that to come across as something selfish, but how how do you think about that, Dory? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, of course we want to help other people, but we don't want to do it in a way that's masochistic or that we're martyrs. You don't want to only help other people and never help your own career, your own success, because it's imbalanced. That's uh, You have a gift to share as well. And so it would be denying that gift to only funnel your energy into other people. So I think that it is important to keep all of that in mind. And, you know, ultimately, one of the points that I make in the long game was, uh, and, and for me, this was something that I really thought about a lot because it is not in any way what we're trained to do. For so long, the way I thought about my calendar, I think the way a lot of us do is, okay, can I do it? It was literally just sort of this up or, up or down. Is there space in my calendar? Oh, well, I guess I can do it. So therefore I will do it. But I came to realize we have to think much more holistically. And this came to a head for me because a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, I had a friend reach out and she was part of this organization and they, she got in touch. They had all decided, you know, like flattery, here we go. They had all decided that they wanted me to come be the speaker for their annual retreat in Grand Cayman. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they wanted to pay me to come out and speak. And of course, you can totally relate. You were just going to go to Hawaii. So you get to go on some awesome vacations as well. And so I was very excited about this. But part of me, I could just sense, you know, in my gut, I was like, wait, I don't know. And I thought about it and I realized what was troubling me. I could have done it. I was free that week, but the week before I was traveling, the week after I was traveling, it would have been a multi-day engagement. And the idea of like, oh, being in the Caribbean with my friend, that would have been really cool. In all honesty, though, the part that I was most excited about was just seeing my friend who I hadn't seen in a while. Guess what, John? I live in Manhattan. She lives in Brooklyn. I actually could find a way to see my friend if I wanted to. I did not have you know, to go to Grand I, Cayman. I know. I have heard there's actually some good restaurants in that area. 
Just you know, saying. there might be a few, there might be a few. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, am I actually going to even enjoy this trip? If I'm on the road for three consecutive weeks, I'm flying around, I'm living out of a suitcase. And I thought, you know, I don't think so. I think it would probably be better for my health, for my mental well-being, to actually go home in between all this speaking. So it pained me to say no to a free trip to the Caribbean, but I ultimately did. And that was part of what clicked into place for me that I, I realized, oh, I really need to be more thoughtful in the future about the things that I say yes to. Well, yeah, you know what, what I wrote down when you said that is you said, you know, can I do it? Yes. But the real question is, should I do it? That's right. And then how do you understand, should I do it? Now, here's how I think about it. And I love your take is, I think it's really understand that not only understand my values, understand what I'm trying to create. For me, it's, you know, what is God doing out in the world? What's his will? And how, what am I been tasked to, to join him in that? And as a matter of like this whole thing around strategy, uh, I was working with a business owner and they were just a perennial people pleaser, which I can totally relate to. So in addition to working crazy hours, he wasn't working out, which was when he was younger, a passion of his, and he was serving on six boards. Everything he was at, and these are all great causes, like, yeah. trust me, like Boys and Girls Club. And I mean, you go down the list. And as we did some of this work on not only your self-awareness, but what are your priorities? What are you trying to create personally, professionally, your legacy, your life? And then it was a really simple question is, are those activities that are in your calendar that are taking up your time? are they moving you toward what's most important? And you know what? He looked at the list of board memberships and he goes, four of these I'm not passionate about. I felt obligated. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. When you're showing up at the board meeting out of obligation, how effective are you really versus maybe helping find somebody who could you could put in there who you know who would maybe be all in? Now, he was an all in kind of guy. You would have never known that. But you know what he did? He actually cut back four of those with some very clear conversations, found time to work out. And I'm not saying that was the magic bullet, but his business has now tripled in the last four years because well he started, done. you know, creating that space for him to just start thinking and doing those things that only he should be doing. And I think the path from here to there sometimes almost feels like, hey, where do I start? But when you're, I know you work with so many leaders, how do you help them even just start that process that you're talking about? Yeah, well, I think what you're describing, John, is exactly right, that we do have to essentially take, take an inventory about where the time is going and then overlay it against the question of what is meaningful to you, what is exciting to you, what aligns with where you want to go. And I've seen this as well. I, I've coached, uh, you know, there was one woman who was a, a CEO and she was very public facing. So she had gotten pulled into a zillion boards, just like your client. And a lot of them were draining time and energy away mm. from really important things that she needed to be working on. And so, you know, I think it's important to recognize these changes don't necessarily happen overnight. It is true. You know, people often say, oh, but I couldn't, blah, 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 blah. And they're not wrong. It's not like you can necessarily resign from everything tomorrow. Um, that's not the right move to leave people in the lurch or, or whatever. There oftentimes has to be a, a gradual transition. Maybe it's you're coming up for renewal and you say, okay, well, I'm not going to run again. Or maybe it's uh, you know just 
everyone's assuming you're going to take on this committee, this task force, and you say, well, I can do this, but I can't do that task force or, or what have you. But over time, if you're setting the intention and you know the direction that you're going, which is, okay, I'm going to cut back in this area, whatever this area might be, you actually can make significant changes. Perhaps it might take months, might even take you know a year or two, but it's moving in the right direction. And I experienced this as well. We also have to understand there are seasons to everything. Probably about 15 years ago, I was extremely civically involved in my community, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. That it was great. I was serving on every board, every task force, and I felt good about it. But I also realized, oh my gosh, I'm spending probably 10 hours a week doing this. What would it mean if I put that 10 hours into my business? And mm. I realized I'd probably be doing a lot more good for everybody, if I could make my business successful and then have have more tools and resources, financial and otherwise, to give back at a later date. So I ended up disengaging from a number of those commitments. And you know, I put in a lot of time. I was on one board for you know six plus years, but um, I, I realized that it was so all-consuming that it was limiting what was my priority at that time. Yeah, and I and I love what you said there. Right? A lot of this does feel good, but what we don't realize is the impact that it has in all these other areas of our life because everything works together. And I think as we get clear in this place, this gentleman I was telling you about, I'll I'll never forget he shared with me because when he really kind of figured out how he's going to say yes and how he's going to say no, and he approached him to ask if he'd be on. And another one, he basically informed them he's not, you know, at the end of his kind of his tenure, he's not going to continue, but he'll help him find somebody. You know, the feedback he got was, was like, thank you for being so clear. Do you know how many people we reach out to you to be on the board and like, oh, think about it. I'll pray about it. Let me see if it fits because they, they want to, you know, they don't know if it's the right fit and they're in there. You know, if you're running a, a nonprofit or a task force, like, you know, you need people to commit so then you can go find the next person because you have, you're on mission, right? This is cause-based. And for us to be able to give people the gift of a clear yes or no, I think is uh, not only a gift to them, but a gift to us. Yes. So true. And, you know, I love, like, I love how you talk about too, like, uh, could you talk about your framework when you're looking at something on how you say yes? You said before, you know, saying yes to an opportunity, there's a couple of questions you ask yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I can even, I can even pull out my actual book to uh, to remind myself of of precisely what all of these questions are. Yeah, well, here we let go. Let me start with the first one, right? Because I don't think we always count the cost, right? What is the commitment? Yes, yes, that's right. I I got that right here as yeah. well. So thank you, John. What is the total commitment? I th- yeah. So we were touching on this earlier that you know, oh, a simple lunch meeting. Oh, it's only an hour, but. If we actually think about all the pieces around it, the travel, the transportation, the planning, uh, it's probably quite a bit more than that. I mean, I know, for instance, a way that this manifests for me is with like, you know, agreeing to do a webinar or something like that, you know, oh, well, you know, here's this group and would they like, you know, they want me to speak. And a part of me says, oh, but it's only an hour. That's okay. But if you really piece it together, you understand, oh, well, they're going to want a planning call. They might even want two planning calls. They may want specialized uh, information. So maybe it's not my standard presentation. Oh, so I'm going to have to update things. I'm going to have to personalize it. I'm going to have to create a deck. 
Then of course there's the delivery. Oh, and there's email back and forth because they need a description. They need a bio. There's literally all these pieces that are so easy to paper over in the moment, but you realize that anytime you, you know, I now understand anytime you say yes to a webinar, it's a minimum of three hours, maybe four hours worth of total commitment. Do I want to give a half day of my life to this company or to this cause? And that I think is, is very clarifying. So that's one piece. The, the other uh, few are, what is the opportunity cost? So meaning what else in the universe could I be uh, doing? If I do this, what am I saying no to? Because we that's have to true. realize that when we say yes to the webinar or yes to this client work or lunch, we are saying no to something else. Maybe it could be no, you know, I'm, what I'm saying no is to time with my kids. Right? That's right. Or my it doesn't have to be the same whatever. type of thing. It's like literally what you what could you be spending your time on in the universe? Mm -hmm. So that that is precisely it. What is the physical and emotional cost? Sometimes you do things and you just run yourself ragged. I mean, I think we've probably all been there in the early stages of our business. Oh gosh, well, if I take this flight and I only have to do three connections, I can save a hundred dollars. <laughs> you realize afterwards, oh boy, that might've been a mistake. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know what? I don't, I, the only thing I look for now is nonstop. I'm in yep. Denver. In, unless the price is outrageous, I just, or there's no option. I just don't do a connection anymore. It's not worth it. Absolutely not. No, nope. no. There's just too much hassle, too much stress, and too many things that can go wrong. That's exactly right. <laughs> and then the last one, which I think is especially powerful, is just would I feel bad in a year if I didn't do this? Right. There's a lot of things you might feel bad this week. Oh, John had a party and I, I couldn't go. Oh man, everyone must have had so much fun at John's party. But you know, we really did, Dory, and I was really upset you didn't come. But anyway, that's that's a whole nother conversation. I know. We'll, we'll take it up afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, for most things, not everything, and this is why it's important to judge, but for most things, you know, a few weeks later, you really won't even remember. I'll have plenty of times to go over to John's house and hang out, and, and it's okay if I couldn't miss one, you know, if I couldn't make one particular thing, it's not going to be the end of the world. But maybe it's something different if it's, you know, you're father's retirement party or, you know, something that that's going to be, you know, really meaningful and memorable to everybody that's around. So just thinking in a year, if I didn't do it, would I have regrets? So, you know, what we're talking about here and it's beautiful, and this is actually where you started with is reclaiming that white space is really creating that margin so that we actually can do the things in the present that we should do. Now, what we're doing in the present that we should do has to be guided by a destination where we're going. That is, I think, something that is the weak, I guess, muscle that a lot of us has is that's that long-term mindset. So we, we really talked about, hey, how to carve and create some things. And you talk about so much more in the book about how to do that. I would love to hear your thoughts because this is something I know I need to get better at is, okay, how do I now let's say I've created some time or I actually looked at my calendar and realized, you know, there actually is time there if I make some different choices. What do I do now with that time so I can really focus on the things that matter? Ah, absolutely. So I think you're pointing to something really important, which is knowing what our North Star is. And mm -hmm. if you don't, if you are still in a place where you're trying to figure it out, one of the 
the things that I talk about in the long game is the importance of actually essentially learning by doing. Because for many of us, we often feel a little bit paralyzed, like, oh, like I can't do anything. I can't make a move until I know, you know, what's my, what am I passionate about? What, what, you know, where's, you know, what's my life's meaning? And th these are big questions and you're probably not going to answer them by sitting at your desk and pounding your head into it until you figure it out. You discover it through taking action and it doesn't, the good news, it doesn't have to be the precise right thing. I have a concept in the long game that I call optimize for interesting. And it just means, you know, whenever you have a choice of multiple things to do, choose what is more interesting to you. And it doesn't mean that you're yoked to it for the rest of your life, but it means that there's something that's drawing you to it. And if it keeps drawing you in, well, keep going. And if it doesn't, you'll have gathered important data and you can pivot to something else. But that's one way to figure it out. But then the other piece that you're talking about, John, which I think is really important, is having the courage of our convictions when it comes to, you know, when we actually know what our North Star is. And one story from the long game that I think is quite powerful, there's a guy that I profiled named Tom Waterhouse. And Tom had, you know, a number of years back, he got a very prestigious promotion. He was going to be named the chief operating officer of the Singapore office of his firm, which was a big deal. Everybody wanted this job. It was kind of a plum position. And he initially accepted, but ultimately he backed out. And the reason that he did was he was not married and he really wanted a wife and family. And he knew from everything he knew about this job that if he accepted it, he was going to be at the office 23 hours a day. He was never going to have an opportunity. This was a, a you know a foreign country. He didn't have a social network. He realized he wouldn't have a way to meet people. And he was going to be working all the time. And he said, wow, if I take this, I am foreclosing the possibility of my being able to meet someone and have a family. And so on that purely speculative basis, he turned down the job. People, of course, thought he was crazy. What are you doing, Tom? It's such a good job. But a couple of years later, finally, it did pay off and pan out. He met a wonderful woman. They're married. They have kids now. And he realizes that he needed to make that choice in order to leave open the possibility for the thing he really wanted. That's really powerful. Now, in the present, as you've seen people probably make some of those choices and they're happy with the outcome and some are not as much, right? What are some of those things that maybe you've done personally? I know you've had some big inflection points that you've learned like in the moment when I don't have all the information. I think that's also what kind of hamstrings people today. There's a lot of ambiguity personally, professionally. How do we make the best decision in the present when we actually don't have all the information we'd like to have? That's part of strategy, I think. Yeah, absolutely, it is. <laughs> and this is the hard part, right? It wouldn't be so bad if we had perfect information. We could just say, oh, well, you know, upon rational analysis, this is the best choice. But we have patchy information, incomplete information. We have to sketch things out. We just don't know. And so bearing that in mind, I think there's a few things. The first is we actually have to be gentler with ourselves in a lot of ways. We can't control the outcome. What we can control is the process. And we have to really get comfortable with the fact that we need to be proud of the process. This is something that, you know, ironically, we can actually really learn a lot from investors or from, you know, gamblers like poker players, right? Like they understand 
luck is a factor and you know the hand may or may not turn out the way you want but what you can be proud of is that you did an analysis you said okay you know 95 out of 100 times this is going to be the best move that still doesn't guarantee i'm going to win but i made the right move with the information that i had so i think we ultimately just have to stop beating ourselves up if things don't turn out the way we want, if we can be proud of the process that we followed in thinking it through and saying, all right, you know, at a certain point, you have to put your chips on the table. And so, you know, let's put it on red seven and see how it goes. Well, you know, you, you encourage me because in the book, you talk about with a lot of professional endeavors, you make one of these big decisions because you think it's going to link to a better tomorrow. And what you said is, you know, it often, especially for a professional choice, can be two to five years to actually see meaningful results on whether that was a good path. And I know, like, oftentimes I've just sat there stuck in indecision. And I don't know if that was the best choice. Other places I've chosen too quickly. What I've learned as I've gotten older, because I'm is to actually have people around me. I call them my wingmen. I talk about it in my book. I think it's so important to have people that maybe have been there and maybe the, I'm not going to say fail because that's the wrong way to think about it, but maybe people didn't have the outcome that they wanted, but in that two to five year journey, you learned something, had an experience, you matured, you dealt with something in your past in a way that prepared you in a way that would have never happened. But it's about context but also having people around you that maybe have also had, you know, similar inflection points that can sow into you, feed you, maybe challenge your thinking. Because if we're around a whole bunch of folks that just want the same outcome and they have the exact same mindset as us, you know, we're not going to probably make the best decision. But I'm guessing you've probably done something similar as you've had big decisions to make. Yeah, I think, I think that's right on. And I, I really echo your sentiment. In fact, um, you know, in the long game, I talk about the the importance of having this kind of mentor board of directors because in the moment, whether when you're having some kind of a challenge, right, it is very hard to be rational if you have invested a lot of your heart and soul in something. And if things are not working out as quickly or precisely the way that you anticipated, which, you know, surprise, surprise, is often <laughs> that it doesn't work out exactly how we want. It's very easy for people to actually go to one of two extremes. One extreme is, oh my gosh, this will never work. This is terrible. Oh, I should just quit. I should just give up. The other is, no, no, it's going to work. You know, I don't know why no one's seeing it. You know, you get to be this maniac like, oh, but it's it's just around the corner. And you can- Or it's so tied up in your identity. You're like, I'm going to make this work because if it doesn't, that reflects on who I am as a person versus the things that I could control in the effort I put in. So true. Exactly. And so frankly, we just need people around us who are rational, people who care about us, who respect us and respect us enough to tell us the truth, to be able to say, John, you know, don't give up. This is a great idea. Or John, eh, you know, you've tried a hundred times. I don't know if the hundred and first is going to work. Maybe we can let this one go. They're in a but much it worked for Edison. Position. He was at a thousand. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And do you know his family tried to have him committed? Oh, well, my family hasn't had tried me have had me committed. No, did they? Maybe I was medicated. I don't remember. I think it could have happened. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Well, no, I love that. Now, here's something because uh, first of all, before we jump in, doryclark.com, D-O-R-I-E. And you guys can go back and listen to her because it was awesome. Eternalleadership.com forward slash 053 and then 210. And this is going to be around episode 400. So I'm so excited to have you back on. Is there any other places for people to connect, get in touch, talk to you? I appreciate that, John. Thank you. Well, you were mentioning it earlier. I think one of the best places if folks are interested in strategic thinking and how to apply more of it in their lives and their careers is to check out the strategic thinking self-assessment that John mentioned. And that's at doryclark.com slash the long game. Okay. Now I have to ask you a question because the first time I heard of Jeff Bezos strategic thinking timeframe, I'm like, that's nuts. My brain doesn't work that way. Like one year for me, I got little entrepreneurial squirrel brain. Like I can think one year and I can think legacy, anything in the middle, like forget about it. So you, you talk about one of Jeff's focuses is on this seven year horizon. And I got to tell you, the first time I thought about it, I'm like, well, I, I don't see how that works. And so I'm just telling you, for me, that was a time frame that just, I didn't understand. And I know, and you write about it and you've changed my thinking, but I, I'd love for you to share about how to use that time frame and that thinking to really drive, I think, some creativity, some focus, and maybe some new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So what you're referring to, John, there was a conversation, there was an interview in 2011. So even well before Amazon was the extreme behemoth that it is today, where Wired Magazine asked him, what is it that you think is the secret to Amazon's success? And Jeff Bezos said, well, what I think it is, is that most of our competitors are only willing to plan and only willing to budget on a three-year timeframe. And for Amazon, we are willing to plan on a seven-year timeframe. And that is has what made the difference. Because ultimately, if you're if you're planning on a you know essentially double the time frame of your competitors and you are willing to take the hits because things are not profitable right away, mm -hmm. you can actually plan for and invest in things that if they are working will ultimately create a transformative difference. It's just, you know, a completely different scale. Whereas everybody else might be doing, you know, the small changes, the, you know, the feature innovation, oh, let's change the way this button is positioned. Jeff Bezos and Amazon are creating the Kindle or they're creating Amazon Prime or they're creating Amazon Web Services, which, you know, give it a little time. And now they're creating billions of dollars in profit a year. And so I think for all of us, you know, the glib way to say it is think bigger. You know, I think a lot of people have that as, you know, like the sort of self-help mantra, but you know, it's yes. And it's not think bigger, like put it on your vision board and then magically it'll happen. But it is think bigger in the sense of if you are willing to really engage with where things could go, and if you are comparing yourself not to your competitors by looking around, but if you're actually asking the question from scratch, what could I do that's transformative? How could I make a profound difference for my business, for my company, for my family, for my community? Then it enables you to tackle things that might, might seem impossible, but if you're willing to persist at them, you actually can often surprise yourself with how far you get. Yeah. You know what? Because like for me to make it really real, because I read this, I'm like, okay, let's give this a go. I'm 55. 
So if I was 62, what's happening? Like, and I started thinking about, you know, for me first, right? My marriage, my relationship with my kids, future grandkids. I started thinking about my business, but more than just numbers, but what is the impact? Who are our clients? What are we known for? What options and opportunities does it provide for us? One of the things is we're about to be empty nesters is, right? Don and I have this vision of being able to travel all over the world, have the freedom to do it, do it working with clients, do it creating. Anyway, so all this stuff started flooding in because when I said, okay, when I'm 62, all of a sudden it became real. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is exact. These are some things that came into focus. And then I got to tell you, it was a gift, Dory, because as I went through this and this part of, of your book, I'm like, okay, you know what? There's some things I need to be doing today differently. There's some things in my calendar that are not there that need to be there. And I got to tell you, I just want to thank you uh, for, you know, putting this together the way that you did. So um, great job, my friend. Oh, thank you, John. That's really meaningful. And I'm excited for you because I want, I want things to be amazing for you when you're 62. <laughs> so I yes, think this sounds like too. a great start. <laughs> yeah, I'll share my list with you. And then and I'll, I'll give you a copy. And then at 62, you can be like, hey, dude, let's celebrate because you got some of those. I don't know if I'll get them all. But hey, you never know. Maybe I rewrite it in a few years and, you know, say, hey, here's the, we did so well. Here's the 65-year-old list. You know what I'm saying? Amazing. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that highlights the fact that folks, you know what, what we're talking about to get different results, it requires change. And change can be challenging. It is hard to do alone. But in that, I think it is so important to let people know what we're working on, but celebrate even the little things. If you just celebrate even the fact that, you know what, I resigned from this, or I was able to get this whole thing, block of time in my calendar, these meetings, I just got a half hour back every week. You need to have people that you can celebrate that with. I mean, there's so much here about linking, you know, kind of the future and what could be to the present. You know, just as we wrap up, Dory, what final thoughts would you have for everybody listening? Thank you so much, John. It's great to be here with, with you and with your audience. You know, ultimately, I will say that this is kind of the place where I end the long game. It's about making time and clearing space for what's meaningful, and it's about doing what's meaningful. But the last section of the book is about persevering in the face of mm -hmm. challenges, because we have to recognize as we're embarking on this journey that there's often a, a gap, a significant gap between deciding to do something and actually being able to accomplish it. For meaningful goals, that can sometimes be a long time. And it can get disheartening at places. But I think that by implementing some of what we've talked about, you know, having the mentor board of directors and the people to encourage you along the way, really setting expectations and, you know, understanding, okay, well, you know, this might take seven years, you know, I'm not going to expect it in a year and then be mad if it doesn't happen in a year. I get it that it might take seven years for this result to come. We can pace ourselves and we can understand that it won't happen overnight and we don't have to get discouraged day to day that small actions will compound. And when that happens, if things do take a little longer than we want, or if there are setbacks, we are able to just keep at it and control the process, control the part that we can control. And I think that is, for me, really the path that I think leads to success. 
No, thank you for, I, I love how that summary, and I remember somebody said once, it so resonated with me that, you know what, as individuals, we overestimate what we can do in a year, and we underestimate big time what we can do in 10. And that's what you're talking about. 100%. And, yeah, and, I, and I've watched you, right? We met, my goodness, I think when we first met, so this is 2015, I think at that point, I could literally work 12 or 13 hours a week. Right. Yeah, and if I, you know, it's yeah. been seven years. Right. Let me just put things in. I, I, had, I, I think when you and I first met, I might have had three or four clients and it was me. Seriously, I was trying to survive. Yeah. I had this dream of what if I actually could build a business that supported my family? What if I actually could uh, work with some of the highest caliber leaders in the world? Like to me, that just felt like pie in the sky. Right. Like we just were, we're doing this whole week uh, right before I did this. Right. We, we were hired to do all the uh, training on how to develop high performance teams for the uh, U.S. Space Force. So cool. Right. The Air Force is named as preferred leadership trainer. I have clients that are in the highest levels of government in other countries. We have 12 coaches that are part of this team. And even seven years ago, what I'm doing today far exceeded my, what I hoped for seven years ago was actually a, a company that, that was had high impact and supported the family. And honestly, seven, I, I, you know, if I'm even look out seven or 10 years, cause it's been that long now, my 10 year anniversary of my accident was this week. Wow. Right. So I was in the hospital for two years. Um, Right. So it's been in. So what I think is, you know, this journey into an amazing life, a life, I think, fully realized, fully alive for us. It's a series of just small steps. And if we focus like we, I don't know, always know the path, but I like what I love about what you're talking about in the long game is if you have some clarity, you don't have to have perfect clarity, but you have some clarity on where you want to go to. And you're taking those courageous small steps and you're doing it with community every day. And here's the other thing I found is sometimes that lack of clarity is frustrating. And instead of just seeking clarity, what I found is action begets that clarity that we're looking for. It's a little counterintuitive. And so you really talk about this roadmap, this blueprint on how to connect those two ends. And I just really appreciate you, Dory, and the work that you do and, and for taking the time to come on here of one of your 73 requests. I feel really good about myself. I just want you to know that. So you are awesome. Thank you, John. It's always great to talk with you. All right. See, I keep knocking them alive. And folks, uh, the book, The Long Game, it just came out. You're going to love it. This would be a great book, by the way. Uh, if you have a team, I'm a huge fan of reading books with a team. This is the perfect book to read with a team, to challenge people both individually and as a team to bring this kind of thinking into your organization. I think having a reading plan and in talking about it as a group is a phenomenal way to get new ideas injected into a group and add some energy, focus, find those gaps and start making some differences. But Dory, with that, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Take care.